Warning. The 1982 project contains explicit language. Sorry. Not sorry. In the future, cities will become deserts. Roads will become battlefields. And the hope of mankind will appear as a stranger. What we have here, for better or for worse, is the introduction of Mel Gibson to American audiences. And we watch him become a movie star in front of our it's eyes. It's funny that the one of the things I remember most from the last time I watched this movie, which would have been... I mean, well over a decade ago. Mm -hmm. I haven't watched this movie in a long time. But I still, as a kid, can remember him sitting on top of, you know, the cars or whatever when they chain him up and he picks the lock himself. And his line is, you know, you want to get out of here? You talk to me. Yeah. I still remember that line from back when I watched it as a kid, you know. He works a and how drawn you were to the road warrior. And that's mm -hmm. Mel Gibson, you know? It is. It, that's, that is absolutely the Mel Gibson effect. And that's the difference between an actor saying that line and a movie star saying that line. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Hello and welcome to the 1982 Project. My name is Michael Schantz. And I'm Matt Aldrich, and this is the show that looks into the past to see what the future is going to look like. <laughs> I'll say. We're here. We ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. What are you people? On dope? I got nowhere else to go! He's a replica, isn't he? I'm afraid! He likes one quick. Let's get, let's blow it up right away. The black man. Texas has a whorehouse in it. Now that penis. Oh. Adam Olaf died recognize that penis anywhere. Fuck you two. You go clean off my door. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Enough talk. I love this episode. This is the dystopic future episode. Right. I think, in some ways, I think this this week more than any other week, we have a full lineup of classic films. Well, and not just that, but we've been talking in the past about the movies that are still with us today, and each of these movies are a perfect example of that, having been brought back into our lives, at least within the last decade. And and they're not done yeah, right, rebooting right. these franchises either. So we've got Blade Runner, we've right. got Tron... And we have the road warrior. I, I think this is this is an again. I keep going back to how the unwitting movie-going public of 1982 was just being fed like classic after classic after classic. And I and, and I had wish, no idea. I, I you guess, know, like, and that's what I wonder. I what I, this is where I have to sort of imagine because I was only a kid and I kind of didn't know what I was looking at. I, I don't know. I've read a lot of reviews from that time. I don't. It doesn't seem like people were realizing just how long these movies were going to stay around. No, you're. I think you're right about that because I've been doing the same thing. And even in watching the movies themselves, 
I had this overwhelming sense of how did these three movies stay in our consciousness? I mean, stick to our consciousness so well. What is it about them? Exactly. It's it's a it's a good question. And I think each movie speaks to a different fear that we all have about the future. Right. And 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 what kind of future we're barreling toward. And I think all three of those movies and the three fears that they talk about, I believe are still with us today. Yeah. In one way or another. I, I had that sense too. Absolutely. Where do you want to go first? I don't know. I don't I really don't know. Nor we we have been starting with like the most popular one. Well, which one's that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have a feeling we're going to have the most disagreements about Blade Runner. Uh-huh. Do you want to start with that? Let's start there. She's a replicant, isn't she? I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot one? I don't get it, Tyrell. How many questions? 20, 30 cross-referenced. Took more than a hundred for Rachel, didn't it? She doesn't know. She's beginning to suspect, I think. Suspect? How can it not know what it is? Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. Rachel is an experiment, nothing more. Blade Runner came out on June 25th, 1982, and is directed by Ridley Scott. I'd like to think people know Ridley Scott. We're talking Alien. We're talking uh, Black Rain, Thelma and Louise, G.I. Jane, Black Hawk Down, The Martian. Yeah, so no, on and he, so forth. I mean, he's he's first ballot Hall of Fame. Easy. Yeah. Uh, I I also have to put it out there uh, as a <laughs> as a blanket statement. Um, finally, on this viewing of Blade Runner, I made it through without falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I have never liked this movie. I, wow. I find it profoundly boring, and it always puts me to sleep whenever I have tried to watch it. It's almost <laughs> like I'm trying to pull an all-nighter, you know, and you're like, okay, I got to walk around a little bit now. I got to <laughs> have another cup of coffee. I got to I gotta slap myself with maybe, maybe a shower, and I could watch the rest of this movie. You know what's it, interesting, and we didn't talk about this in the sort of introduction part, None of these movies are breakaway, runaway, blockbuster hits. None of Fi- them. Finan- I didn't. I didn't look up the finances. Not what? financially. Like none of them are like Jaws numbers. Blade Runner had a budget of twenty-eight million dollars, an opening weekend of six point one, which back then I think is a fairly not huge, but like that's not unheard of. Anyway, in the USA, thirty-two point eight million. In the world, forty-one point six. So this movie makes a profit, but in the USA, barely. Ninety uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes, though. I don't. So I don't. The rest of the world not as bored as you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a. I have a. This side note: I have a beef with Rotten Tomatoes because Rotten Tomatoes was invented after. True. 90, 90% of the movies on Rotten Tomatoes. And so you have a, a nostalgic bias in effect when people rate a movie like Blade Runner on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. That's true. And, and, and Blade Runner for me is one of those movies that I feel pressured into liking, like I'm supposed to like it. 
you know, that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm I'm a white male screenwriter in his forties. I am supposed to bow at the altar of Blade Runner, you know, uh, (laughs) Tom and I had the same discussion with, uh, the dark Knight rises. I was like, I couldn't even convince myself that I didn't like that movie when I first saw it because you're supposed to love it. You're supposed to love everything that Christopher Nolan does. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and so I, I feel like Blade Runner's reputation precedes it. I have always been excited to sit down and watch it because every time I try, as I told you, I fall asleep. <laughs> and so then I wait five or six years and I go, I'm going to give that another try. I think it was a bad day. Maybe I was I, tired. I was, I was tired that day. <laughs> you make excuses. I, yeah. I, I started it late. I'm going to watch it during the day this time. Daytime nap. Okay, well, maybe I'll uh, wait. So I've tried to watch this movie. The every... kids got me up early that day, I'm telling you. <laughs> every five or six years, I'll try to watch this movie. And then, you know, in the past, whatever, 10 years or so, they started releasing director's cuts and extended that's things. That's the that... other thing that's different about this movie compared to the other two we're talking about today is the long, long history of sort of a final version of this movie coming along because it's like you have the original version you have a director's cut you have maybe a second director's cut then you have the final cut right it was hard which which cut did you watch for this i just watched the 1982 release i went ahead and spent four dollars for the sake of this podcast like a fucking professional (laughs) (laughs) it's all you can write it all off it's all good the biggest difference was this narration of Harrison Ford. I prefer the narration. When I first saw this movie, that was one of the things I loved because I loved a future dystopic setting with a Mickey Spillane gumshoe detective mashup. I loved that. I preferred the narration because honestly, I would rather know what the fuck is going on than have to read into the misty rainy silence and mood. I've always appreciated it. Having said that, because I haven't watched this version in a really long time, and Harrison Ford famously hated it. And I think that comes across. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem He's to be narrating very with monotone, <laughs> non-interested in the words he is saying. And that yeah, is fairly yes. evident. But... To me, that doesn't necessarily mean that he was right. I would push back a little bit on the clarity and understanding. Um, I think when M. Emmett Walsh calls the replicants skin jobs, yeah, I didn't need, like, it was jarring to me to hear Harrison Ford say, he's the kind of man who would have called a black yeah. person an N-word. And yeah. I was like, ugh. Except he didn't say N-word. He said, you know. Yeah, no. It, he that, said it. And yeah. I was like, ugh. But that was clearly evident that M. Emmett Walsh was that guy. Like I didn't, you know. So it's, you didn't. You didn't need that particular bit of narration. Totally right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I intend to go back and like watch the final cut now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got maybe ten minutes into it last night, and I thought I got to go to bed. Like otherwise, yeah. I'm gonna be watching this till you know, one a.m. or one thirty. Or um, you could have just watched it and and had it lull you pleasantly to sleep. well and so that's the difference between us though i i was i was pretty good and enthralled as as a kid by this movie Mm -hmm. like i said because i liked the dime store detective part of it i liked that having said all that 
to anybody that would say to me, this movie bores me and it makes me fall asleep, I can't chastise them. I, I, I can understand it. I think the first act is near flawless. Like, I, I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm all in on this movie for the first act. It's the okay. second act of the movie. For me, it's the second act of the movie. It's the endless sequences at the at the the apartment of the toy designer jf so, sebastian jf sebastian it's this it's the lugubrious uh score by vangelis uh <laughs> you know which is so it's such a, a, a it's such a like a, a, a lonely droney saxophone that i i it just puts me to sleep but then you've got that soundtrack coupled with the long whisper acting scenes between Sean Young and Harrison Ford, it all combines to uh, honestly like put me into a, a nigh hypnotic state, <laughs> which, yeah. which then I just I can't hold on anymore and I drift off into sleep. Well, I'll tell you this just because one of the things I remembered in watching this movie was that. Several people I know and myself had bought the soundtrack specifically for sex. <laughs> <laughs> the score to, to Blade pe- Runner to be, as, to as a song in to the background to. I don't, during oh. sex. We called it the sex music. Oh, we God. all worked at the movie theater together. Oh. <laughs> and there was this and then a movie called The Big Blue, if you remember that. Did you ever actually have it on during... Did you actually, like, use it? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, the saxophone, bro. The saxophone. <laughs> I know, but but putting on the soundtrack to Blade Runner while you're having sex is probably... <laughs> the whitest thing you've ever said. <laughs> in a in a in a parade of white things you've said. <laughs> no, it's a long list. ask you this then let me put the question to you how did this movie become a classic well i think the dystopia that it uh represents that it that it discusses where it's like where democracy falls to the hands of capitalism right right that there's an unsavory quality to it because you know in the early 80s one of the fears was that the Japanese were going to buy up America and take over. And so yeah, this, I feel like ever this, present in this movie. Yeah. Right? This movie really plays on that fear specifically and in, in a way that makes it feel kind of dated, but otherwise you're put into a world that is eerily familiar, a world where people are being constantly bombarded by advertising a world where the, I got to tell you, like when I was watching it, I thought, LA is not too far off from that right now with uh, their electronic billboards. Yeah, the electronic billboards, that kind of shit, uh, and the air quality and and yeah. all of that stuff. And, We're not and, far away from skyscrapers uh, showing Coca Cola ads. It is a well-made movie, and uh, it 
pulls no punches style wise. Like it, it really. There's some right. I think that's the part lighting of it. design and everything. It's 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 such a swing for the fences movie. And I think Harrison Ford has a part to play in all of this. We're not quite at the time where just a single name brings seats into a theater mm. automatically. We're getting there. We're really close. Because just the year before, he does Indiana Jones. He does Raiders. Yeah. yeah. You know? So it might be the kind of thing where where we just had Raiders. Well, we just had Empire. Then we had Raiders. Now we have this dystopian future so that maybe on a first viewing of a trailer, people thought, ah, I don't know. But then they realize, hey, Harrison Ford's in it. Hmm. And so then, you know, it's like, put it in the VCR. I'll wait, I'll wait. And then when it comes out, you know, word of mouth, buzz, 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 buzz. And like, hey, this movie's really something. So there, uh, there might be something to that. Perhaps. I, I don't know. I think, I think, this movie inspired a lot of filmmakers. It inspired yeah. a lot of, of of other movies. And so perhaps that's one of the reasons why it has stood the test of time because um, um, it's been referenced so many times and it's become... Um, it inspired the right people who ended up making things themselves. I, ha- I hate this term, but it's. I think it's an important movie. It, yeah. It, it belongs on all of the AFI 100 lists uh, that it's on. Another interesting part about this movie for me is um, it's the first time anyone adapted the work of Philip K. Dick. Oh, wow. And, That's interesting. And so you talk about the legacy of, of this movie. I think that it inspired the Hollywood to look at the rest of Philip K. Dick's work. And you have, you know, the other movies that were made subsequently to this are Total Recall, Minority Report, Screamers, The Man right. in the High Castle, which is the Amazon series, um, right. uh, A Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly, I was um, going to say. And, uh, and that's all, interestingly enough, I again, just poking around, poking around, Philip K. Dick uh, passed away in, wait for it, 1982. So he actually never saw and this movie is dedicated to him. Yeah, yeah, he never saw this movie and he never saw wow. any of the other adaptations of his work. Um, so uh, so this movie is also important in that way, because uh, you're right. Philip K. Dick's work has has gained so much more. It notor- opened up notoriety. the toll roads to his the rest of his work, to the yeah. rest of his work and and opened him up to a broader audience posthumously than um than, than he had enjoyed before then. So I, I think it's hard to overstate the significance of this movie. I think part of it is, and you've spoken to it, this movie has artistry. When you, when you watch the movie, you feel like there is artistry at hand and there's an artist behind it. Mm-hmm. And that gives it gravitas and gravitas gives it legacy. It might be just, you know, that simple. Yeah, it, it, this does feel like um, more of an art house movie than a popcorn summer right. release movie. Yeah, yeah I, I'll, I'll totally give you that. And Because, uh, you know, what I kept thinking of was a lot of this movie feels um, Kubrickian. Like, I, I was making parallels to 2001, the slow scenes of, like, the shuttle moving throughout space and... 
circling around the buildings and yeah. coming up to the buildings. And there, there's mm-hmm. lot, there, there's lots of that in this movie. Yes. And for whatever reason, like 2001, I'll watch at the drop of a hat and I'll watch to the very end and it doesn't put me to sleep at all. See, the, the thing that I, I always remember about the movie, too, and I get what you're saying, but um, the human connection, I really connect with Batty of anybody, like his desire. Yeah, and he is the and clearest. And the manic, yeah. the manic way in which it manifests itself, especially towards the end when he's busting his head through walls and, mm-hmm. and that kind of shit while he's chasing Harrison Ford and he's, you know, in um, biker shorts before we even, like, had biker shorts. Yeah. Uh, is super interesting to me. Yeah, he's uh, he's really scary in the third act. Yeah. He is really scary. And you get the sense that he Maniacal. can kill... Yeah, that he can kill Harrison Ford anytime he wants. Anytime he wants, right. But he is purposefully not killing Harrison Ford. And again, my reading of the film is that because he wants... He wants Harrison Ford to live long enough to realize that he's a replicant. Like that, like I feel like Roy Batty s- sees the truth in mm. e- in everybody, and that's kind of his his superpower. And he sees more into Decker than Decker is able to see into himself. Um, what do you make of Harrison Ford pushing back so much against the idea that Deckard's a replicant? I, I don't know the backstory. What is he, what has he said? What is he, he? He very famously has always said, "No, there's no chance." And it was like the only way he would do 2049 was if it if he was not a replicant, which to me is kind of strange because narratively it's a far more interesting movie if he is. Maybe, maybe not far more, but you know what I mean. Like, I, I, as a writer, to me that that that's interesting. Either read of the film is to me very interesting. One that okay. he that he's a replicant and doesn't know it, and and he's in the same boat as Sean Young. And so, of course, the two of them have to survive this and they have to be together. The other read is that he has lost so much of his humanity in in being a Blade Runner. Blade, being yeah. a Blade Runner and killing That's all of these play. replicants has... It's funny because I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Like, he introduces himself with the narration as a killer. Yes. And and having, you know? killed, having killed so many replicants has... He has Hurt had his to, humanity. Yeah, he's had to disassociate from himself to the point where he is now more like a robot than a than a human being. Yeah, right. And that's a great story too. Yeah, and, that and, is. And let's see how that guy finds love again in his life. And is he going to be able to redeem himself by falling in love with and saving the life of a replicant, um, rather than having to only kill them? You know. Um, uh, I did look up Roger Ebert. I mean, even on his original review, he gave it three stars, but it was like he felt like he had to because of how the movie looked. He praised the special effects more than character work and wrote that Blade Runner is worth attending just to witness uh, the artistry. He actually used that word. Mm. Uh, in 1992, he said, seeing the movie again, uh, this is the, the director's cut, Seeing the movie again, even in this revised version, I still felt the human story did not measure up to the special effects. Then in 2007, with the final cut, 
He said, uh, it's, it's worthy of great movie designation. I have never quite embraced Blade Runner, uh, admiring it at arm's length, but now it is time to cave in and admit it to the canon. I couldn't agree more with Roger Ebert. I feel this yeah. exact same way where I... I, I was just going to say that it sounds like you and he are on the same page. Totally on the same page. That it's it has never felt... And obviously it's like because we're dealing with kind of androids, it's never felt like a really human movie to me. Right. And, and so it is kind of emotionless. And so I can't... I've never been able to, to latch into it emotionally. But I can't argue against it. I can't say it's a poorly made movie. Nineteen eighty-two project will be back after these messages. Why buy just a video game from Atari or Intellivision? Invest in the wonder computer of the nineteen eighties for under three hundred dollars. The Commodore Vic Twenty. Unlike games, it has a real computer keyboard. With the Commodore Vic Twenty. The whole family can learn computing at home. Plays great games, too. Under $300, the wonder computer of the 1980s, the Commodore VIC-20. Coming soon, Commodore brings you Gorf, the wonder arcade game, and Omega Race in home versions. Commodore. The computer. An extension of the human intellect. The NCOM 511. Center of the most calculating intelligence on Earth. Programmed by Master Control to survive by all means. Soon, the ultimate tool will become the ultimate enemy. I remember playing the video game way more than I remember this movie. I loved the video game. It's funny you say that. A, I loved the video game. I got quite good at that video game. But B, the video game was far more popular than the movie ever was. I there's a there's a place up here in uh, in Alameda called High Scores. You go in there and you pay five dollars and you the place is filled with old arcade games. And it's free play. Oh, it's amazing. Sounds like my kind of place. And so, so they have Tron there, and I was like, "Okay, Tron." When I <laughs> when I was a kid, Tron to me was like was like the quarter monster. Like I could never get right. good enough to play it longer than forty five seconds. Like that was the that was the average length oh, of really? my Tron game. Oh my god, I sucked at it so bad. And so I was like, "Okay, Tron." There are no quarters standing in our way. Like, <laughs> I am going to sit down with you and I'm going to play you. And I started playing it again. Still 45 seconds. I cannot play that game to save my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's awesome. It's still a really good game. I mean, what's great about it is you have so many different... You have the light cycles. You have the spiders. You have the uh, CPU. You know, the... Like, the discs. You get to play yeah. Yeah, the discs, you get you get to do different stuff. I mean, it's great. This movie came out on July 9th, 1982, is directed by Steven Leisberger, 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. We discussed how all of these movies aren't runaway hits. This movie had a budget of $17 million, an opening weekend of 4.7 million. In the USA and the world, $33 million. I was all over this movie as a kid. I mean, so excited to see it. 
So you said, had you, did you say you had never I don't seen think, it all the way through? I don't think I ever had until wow. I started watching. Like, How's that possible that <sighs> okay, so here, so young Matthew Aldrich was just poo-pooing Tron I was as a, poo- a kid. Look. Too busy watching Conan? <laughs> we, have, we have discussed <laughs> at great length the movie-going habits of my father. This is the exact kind of movie that he would never go see. <laughs> because it was a Disney movie. And right. we had oh, so now I'm looking at I'm looking at the list of uh of of summer releases for that year. The weekend right. bef- the weekend before was Secret of Nim. I might have Oh wow. I might have spent all of my pennies. Your currency. All, all of my political capital <laughs> on getting to see Secret of Nim the week before. <laughs> so that by the next week, uh Dad, can we go see Tron? Fuck you. Yeah. We saw Secret of Nim last week. Yeah. Well, this is, think about this too. We're talking about the profitability or not profitability of some of these movies. Remember, not even a month before, E.T. has come out. Right. So there's not a lot of oxygen left in the room. Yeah. E.T. was number one for how many weeks? total 16 16 i want to say god bless some of these other movies that i know that were trying to come out that summer you know but that's what's remarkable to me about 1982 is that you have a movie like et like you said just sucking the oxygen out of movie theaters and yet we have all these movies that have become classic films that are still in our lives and we we've been talking about what made these movies last and it occurs to me as well that like Specifically, Blade Runner and Tron are two movies that fans have been clamoring for sequels for for decades, especially Tron. Like that was like a big deal when people heard we're finally getting a sequel to Tron. I actually remember being intrigued by that, even though I I didn't have a strong attachment to Tron. I was like, oh, that's cool. And Jeff Bridges is going to be in it. All right. That's cool, too. And yeah, I didn't I didn't see that movie either. Um. <laughs> Which is why, for me, the watching this this movie now, I was so pleasantly surprised by this movie. So that's interesting to me. Yeah, tell I, me more about that. I thought it was I thought it was really good. <laughs> I, was, I, I watched it. I watched it with my kids too. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they did they it was, like it? Yeah, they did. That's cool. Which is so crazy because they get so bent out of shape whenever I put on a movie that's more than three years old. Right. You know. Uh, they look at, uh, you know, the Disney or a Paramount or they look any at kind the, of lo- any like kind of must, logo. Oh, like God. if they were to see the Lad Company on Blade Runner, they'd think, "What the hell is this?" Oh God! <laughs> they, they they would be like, "Later, Dad, we're gonna go play Minecraft." <laughs> um, I watched this movie a while ago when we first started this project, and then I watched it again just to kind of brush mm-hmm. up on it. And again, I was like, "God damn it, this movie." is it's a good story well told like i'll I'll say that like but here's the thing this is this is my this is now my asterisk around tron this is my caveat around tron because it and it's a it 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 speaks to disney uh which is disney has a really hard time being cool whereas blade whereas blade runner blade runner is is predominantly cool road warrior is is cool forward souped up on cool right it's like trying to like 
in mainline, like nitro High inject. High octane cool. cool. Yeah. To inject cool. <laughs> this movie is like, we're going to be fine. We're just in a sandbox. We're just going to tell a little story in a sandbox. And, uh, and so. See, but I remember thinking it was infinitely cool as a kid. And you know what's funny is like kids my age at that time felt the same way. And it all probably boils down to just the light cycles. Which is maybe 90 seconds of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's not a lot. It's but that sequence boy, is did we so latch fast. on to the, like, I mean, I wanted a light cycle. Oh, yeah. I wanted to race a light cycle. I wanted to smash people into walls with my light cycle. Yes. I mean, you know, as a 10 year old, like you are just feeling that. I mean, completely and totally. I think this film holds up in, in a really unexpected way. In that, yeah. in that the simplicity of the CG shots, and this was along, right. along with uh, Wrath of Khan, w- the first films to incorporate fully uh, CG shots. But because of the computing power at their disposal, they were really only able to make wire models of these things and sort mm-hmm. of paint them with neon colors. Yeah. Right. As, a, as opposed to trying to make them like super detailed or realistic looking. Yeah. It created a, a, a more menacing atmosphere. Like it, right. it, it really felt like you're in a Soviet computer. Well, I think what oppressive. it gets right. Yeah. I think what it gets right is it, it feels cold. Yeah. And inhuman. And that's what's really great about it. Yeah. Is that it it feels not of our world. And that's what you want when you're sending your characters into the inside of a computer. Whereas when you go to Tron Legacy, the light cycles, I mean, they look like souped up real motorcycles. Like Kawasaki's. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That and that was my that would that would be my suspicion. Having not seen that movie, I would expect them to again use CGI to the fullest. Oh man, I mean it's just everything goes to eleven for that movie. Yeah. But you but it makes the world you lose that kind of removed aspect of the world. You know, the the world that it the the, the post apocalyptic world that it uh shows is a world where computers have taken over. And we're all serving at the at the at the master of our yeah master control uh, is yeah. is on his way to the Pentagon. Yes, he is going to take over the government at this point. Yeah, and I think that's why this movie actually holds up, and it's probably uh, I don't know if it's more salient today or or or, or not um, back in eighty two, but I think it holds up because I think we are again in a point where we are questioning. Is the algorithm serving us or are we serving the algorithm? I found this movie to be incredibly current. Not only yeah. vi- like visually, I found it to be super interesting. I thought the story was well told, but I also was like, God, thematically, we're dealing with the same stuff right now. I'm like, right. I'm on Team Tron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to hear this. <laughs> so pleasantly surprised by this movie. That's great. <laughs> I, I feel like on this show, I just shit on movies all the time. <laughs> well, you, you like you just um, you and I are different in the sense of I can watch a movie from 1982 and I 
it's hard for me to separate my 1982 feelings for them. Mm. You have a nostalgia. I, yeah. Yeah. And I think you can do that quite easily. I hate nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you're, <laughs> you're like, I see what you're doing, 1982, and go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. That's exactly what I do. I have no patience for nostalgia. <laughs> and, and I'm like, come on, though. Like, remember how it made you feel. And you're like, I didn't even watch it back then. All right. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think it uh, has stood the test of time? Why do you think we're still rebooting this one? I think it's for all those reasons. I think it came out at the perfect time. I found it interesting, too, because... There are lines in the movie that said something like, you know, it's Dumont who says, uh, basically he's speaking about AI as though mm -hmm. it doesn't exist yet. But it, like, that's what master control is. Master yeah. control is thinking on its own now. And so that's been the big fear of computers for as long as we've had computers. Right. right. The, the fact that they're and going to so take over. What's inside the computer to me it, the dystopia is is it is the possibility of what's inside the computer coming out and the computer's yes. taking over. Yes. Yeah. I've got a little challenge for you, Sark. A new recruit. It's a tough case, but I want him treated in the usual manner. Train him for the games, let him hope for a while, and blow him away. You got it. I've been hoping you'd send me somebody with a little bit of guts. What kind of program is he? He's not any kind of program, Sark. He's a user. A user? That's right. He pushed me in the real world. Somebody pushes me, I push back, so I brought him down here. What's the matter, Sark? You look nervous. Same well, as, again, it's... it's Terminator. It's the same as Skynet and Terminator. Yeah. Same as War Games with Joshua starting a nuclear war. Right. And again, I always I always have to go back to uh, the age of the people making these movies. So these mm -hmm. this is the boomer generation making these movies, dramatizing their fear of computers taking over, making movies marketed to children who have no fear that computers are going to take over, who think yeah, computers right. are just fucking awesome yeah <laughs> and so they make a movie give me about, more atari <laughs> right they they give yeah. they, they make a movie about like oh no these computers are going to take over and the kids watch the movies and they go those light cycles were rad you know like, yeah, exactly like, like, <laughs> so there's like there's a message which was just, my exact thought as right. a kid was like those light cycles are fucking amazing <laughs> right so there's this message trying to be delivered and, and these set of ears that are not hearing it at all. <laughs> That's true. I, I can't help but see parallels between this movie and The Matrix. Do you, do you draw a straight line between Tron and The Matrix? That's interesting. I don't draw a straight line because in The Matrix, the real world is the computer. Right. It, it's an it's a inversion. Exactly. As Tom, Tom and I have the sequel inversion, these aren't sequels, but... You know, it's the inversion of Tron. For me, I was watching but this. But Tron feels all I like... Could, all I could think of was The Matrix when I was watching this Really? Movie. That's interesting. But like I said earlier, it does feel like Tron, what's inside is trying to come outside and take over. So that could become the world. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a, a prequel to the to the Matrix, right? Exactly. It, it, yeah. Right. Um, no, it, it 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 was for me. It was the sort of the um, the, the structure of Alice in Wonderland. Right. It was the um, fighting the mainframe, which both movies have. And sure. Sort of like s- small, scrappy band of rebels trying yeah. to avoid the the drone-like sentries of the mainframe. Like there, there were there was a a lot of uh, French resistance kind of right, right, kind right, of, right. Uh, uh, feel. Wave the flag. Yeah, it, it, it had yeah. the same kind of feel to it, and that and that. Um, it was just a it was funny parallel and I didn't know if um if I wasn't consciously filmmakers, thinking of it though. Yeah, I don't know if the if the if those filmmakers If they were influenced. Yeah, I was wondering about about yeah. about the legacy <laughs> you talk about Tron legacy. I actually want to know the actual legacy of Tron. Yeah, right. I I like this movie. I do. It's good. It's a good movie. It's a It's still good. It's still a good movie. It's cheesy. Yeah. Okay. That's my caveat. Super cheesy. The scene where he actually gets sucked into the computer. So cheesy. Ram dying. Oh, just very the, melodramatic. Yes. Uh, the, and just how they you know, depict the mainframe, how, how the master control in the end, right. his visual representation as sort of a, I don't know, like a talking can of soup. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like Andy Warhol's nightmare. It does. It's, it's really weird. I was like, "Wow, that's that's how you, uh, you know, whatever." Uh, so it is. It's super cheesy in in a lot of ways. But um, but boy, I don't know. Like I said, but I'm on, well, t- I'll, I'm on I'll, team. I'll tell you what I wrote down because one of my notes is. This movie is still so charming. Yeah, it is. It's super charming. Team Tron. 1982 Project will be back after these messages. You are the player, and the arcade is the arena. You focus your mind and propel yourself into a universe where you're the master of your destiny for as long as you can keep the trip going. This is the Arcade Experience. We're ColecoVision. We bring the Arcade Experience home with games like Donkey Kong with multiple screens, arcade controls, and arcade graphics that let you have the Arcade Experience at home because your vision is our vision. ColecoVision. No! Stuckling thousands of gallons of as much as you want! Where? No, no, where? Uh, 20 miles from here. Permanent they are. Refining. A huge tank of full. Crap. No, 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 no. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's not self-service. No, no. It's too hard for me. But a man of your ingenuity. Where? 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 Kill me and you'll never find out. All right, Matt. Let's move on to Road Warrior. This movie came out on May 21st, 1982, which has got to be, is that E.T. area? E.T. was June 11th. May 20, June 11th, okay. May 21st. Uh, so um, it gets uh, about three weeks before it reach, reaches the juggernaut. Yeah, uh, the jug, the first juggernaut of the summer was Rocky Three. So that was May 28th. So this was a All week right. a week before May a week before Rocky 3 and Memorial Day weekend really heralded the the uh, the, the the big summer movies. So there's a bit of right. a de- it's a bit of a dead zone. 
Well, as I uh, forgot earlier, it's directed by George Miller. Mm-hmm. A varied career. Yeah, I mean, we know him from. Yeah, I mean, we know him from these Mad Max movies, but he also did Lorenzo's Oil, Witches of Eastwick, both Happy Feet movies, yeah. and Babe Pig in the City. Yeah. Weird career, this guy. Weird career, right? Weird career. Um, this movie has 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, but as you said, Rotten Tomatoes is. There's a th- bias. That's all after the fact. There's a bias. And has hindsight, but uh, this movie had a budget of $3 million, 2.5 in its opening weekend, made $23.6 million in the USA and the world. Yeah, from what from my research, uh, so that's money. Yeah, my research is the USA ate this movie up, um, mm-hmm. and, and as we've been talking about, um, we are at the dawn of home video, and this movie uh, did really well on home video. Yeah, um, I mean, I watched it a lot on home video, and this was one of the movies I was my own. I had my own taste for movies by this time, but this was a movie that I was influenced by my older brother with. You know, every once in a while, my older brother would be like, this is a movie you guys got to watch. Mm-hmm. Let's watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I mean, we just ate this movie up when we were kids. Th- uh, this movie holds up. I, I, I There's no other way to say it. Uh, yeah. It's... In the same way that Tron was a, a simple story well told, this is a simple story well told. And, and But I recently watched Fury Road and I had the same thought. Yeah. What a simple story. Yeah. You know? They, they, yeah, Fury Road is they drive off in one direction. And then drive back. And, and then drive back. That's it. I, I, I'll, I'll still say that Fury Road is a better film for lots of reasons. Yeah, uh, uh, but this. I in, agree with that. In the series, this is number two for me. Um, yeah, Absolutely. Because it is so simple. And Max is a, he's a character. It's, this is a funny franchise, actually, because um, each film is kind of a standalone yeah. film. And they're, they're all essentially the same story, which is a loner learns how to care for groups. Yeah. And sacrifices uh, his life or everything that he wants in life in order to save the group. And let's not forget that the character is originally a police officer. So I think that's part of it is like him wanting, you know, for lack of a better phrase, to serve and protect. So, right. You know, there's something within him that still wants to be the cop. But but it's almost like at the end of every movie or at the beginning of every Mad Max movie, he He's starts forgotten from, what he learned. Yeah, he starts from zero. <laughs> so there's, right. there's, it's a funny series in that it, it just tells the same story over and over again. I can't think of another series that does this, that has mm-hmm. actually no continuity among all of its installments. Right. Each one starts from zero and ends like it, it's not open-ended. The, the new Mad Max movie they're making uh, from my understanding, is a Furiosa origin origin story. story. Yeah. So, th- th- it, it, well, I think it they're looks... doing both. I think they're doing one with Max and then her story too. Oh, okay, yeah, perhaps the the era of of these movies being standalone is over, and they're trying to create an interconnected universe. But what do you think of the universe that Miller puts forward? This is a very specific post apocalyptic vision that we will see copied again and again in the 40 years. Again and again and again. And I think 
I think, I mean, we've been speaking about why did these movies last? And I think what's unique to the Road Warrior mythos is the quality within them where you can ask yourself, how would I do in this world? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that makes you lean forward. What would I do in this moment? How would I handle this? And I think that's part of their appeal. There's a survivalist yeah. uh, quality to it where you do go, okay, well, if I were parachuted into the middle of the jungle, how right. would I, how would I survive? There's, um, for me, this vision of here's what the world is like after nuclear Holocaust, which is essentially always the implied um, thing that at this one, anyway, that there was a war, a great war. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is the aftermath of that war. And we're in 1982, so the Cold War is still alive and well. Berlin Wall doesn't fall for another seven years. Growing up with the threat of World War III was, um, I don't know, like... Real. It was so real. It was so real that it was almost like, well, any day now. Um, yeah. I remember, like, you know... When you heard a plane overhead, I remember looking up and seeing if it was a fighter jet or not. I always had this vision. Maybe it was from Red Dawn or something that that one day yeah, I would right. just, one day I would just look up and see fighter jets in the sky. Um, whether the movies fed into that fear or whether the movies uh, were simply reflecting that fear that was already there, um, uh, I think it it definitely spoke to a fear that um, my kids anyway aren't growing up with yeah they, they they're but i will say what here's what's interesting to me about mad max mm -hmm. and the kind of post-apocalyptic world that it uh posits it's an arid landscape where resources are scarce scarce right water is scarce and gasoline is everything yeah but it's 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 tainted it's it's um there's something evil about gasoline in mm. in the mad max world it's used right. in it's used toward evil ends so while it's depicting like a, a post-nuclear holocaust now the fear is what is the world going to look like in 20 years 30 years 40 years because of climate change and mm -hmm. and, and we talk about a lot of the same things <laughs> arid deserts there's no water no no drinking water available and that and that and that the culprit and the currency still is gasoline you it's know, gasoline, you right? Know, like, so I find that this particular vision of the future is still scary today, but yeah. for for a completely different reason. It's fascinating because it, you know, this world is still possible without nuclear holocaust. Exactly, no, but like likely, yeah. Like now, yeah. it's right, and 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 so when we talk about these three reboots, right? Tron Legacy, Blade Runner uh -huh. twenty forty nine, Fury Road which one of them is wildly successful. Right? right, exactly. I was just gonna say, it's Fury Road it's that like- It's Fury Road, which- Captures everybody's imagination. And I think preys upon everybody's fear because I think this particular, right. particular post-apocalyptic vision is still with us. I also think this movie uh, lasts and is, is good because it takes a lot of care with the secondary and tertiary characters. I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, Absolutely. In the same, Gyro in, captain. Well, you know, Vernon the, Wells is Wes. The feral kid. The uh, feral kid, the warrior. Even. A uh, woman. 
again, so much care was was paid to all of these characters to to make them kind of quirky in their own way that mm-hmm. it created a world where everybody's eccentric and therefore anything is possible. Like there's no like there's there's no but there's no normal person within 100 miles of this movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and I kind of love that about this movie and all of the Mad Max movies is that they're yeah. um, they're so bizarre, uh, but mm-hmm. they but they stand up. Um, I'm not going to give this film a total pass. It uses it uses specifically rape to yeah. to titillate in a way that like we've seen in other 1982 movies and just sort of a lot of a lot of older movies using violence toward women to, as a way to see breasts there there were moments where it sort of teetered on the edge of like snuff film and right right and that was like it was like no 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 you can't that's the 1982 of that it. was the 1982 of it and and so um so that was uh i can't i can't let that go by and just say like oh this is a great movie it's you know it's rad this movie is not for everyone there's not a lot to get my wife Kristen on board <laughs> to sit next to you I'm not gonna put on the soundtrack of Road Warrior before we <laughs> before we get frisky. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> Go to salt. Let's go. Yeah, let's salt these movies. Let's 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 do a little <laughs> seasoning. Uh, to, to recap, we have three classics of dystopic cinema, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, we've talked about their legacy and 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 how they continue to kind of ripple through, and all three are being sort of actively remade. Uh, now blade runner maybe not but um who knows somebody's probably working on another one right now right so let's give our listeners a a, a bit of um common sense and if they want to pick these movies back up again and they want to watch them right what should they know what do you think so let's go back to the beginning with blade runner grain of salt cup of salt or no salt we didn't really discuss this in our discussion but i think i'm grain of salt in terms of movie making, it's like a no salt movie to me. Like you know, it's it is an a piece of auteur work. I mm-hmm. mean, it's you know, it's great. But we didn't discuss this portion in the middle of the movie when he first starts. Like he is almost forcing yeah, Sean Young into a sexual relationship. Now it seems like it's 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 very 1982 of like. Well, that's what she wants. You know, like that's almost the idea behind it. But I can't give it a pass. Having said that, that's not, um, you know, the bulk of the movie. But so for me, it's a grain of salt. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that that scene is is um, really off putting. And yeah. sadly, all of these movies, it's like there is a grain of salt that comes with all of them, which is like. Yes, they're mostly going to be about white men. Um, so they're right. And and at least once in the movie, that man is going to 
do something terrible. Just like <laughs> put a cigarette out on a woman at some point in that movie. Right. Like, like it's, so I feel like, like <laughs> with that grain of salt covering everything we talk about in the entire podcast, yeah. uh, I actually say no salt for, for uh, Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. If you're the kind of person who's going to enjoy this movie, you can still enjoy it. There's, there's No, you're right about that. Uh, I that, mean, I guess if if you have the caveat that there's a bit of 1982 in all of these movies, that is my yeah. yeah, that's my caveat. There there is there is there is that in every one of these movies. There's a, a filter through which um we all must pass before we sit down with watching any of these movies, just like any old movie. Right. But this one I would just say, yeah, no salt. Uh uh Sit and watch it. Uh, if and if you if you nod off, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> You're on their side. And Tron for well, you? Where are you with Tron? I'm no salt for Tron. Cause how could you be? A yeah, salt? I mean how it's just you? it's Tron is so fucking harmless. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, again, Tron walks into the room with these other two movies and he's like, hi, guys, I'm Tron. <laughs> you guys playing cards? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although even even Tron, even Tron has a bit of more than a bit of misogyny in it. <laughs> There's oh, yeah. a moment where where uh, the Jeff Bridges character, uh, he's walking through like some I don't even know what kind of building it was inside the computer. He passes like a, a a sexy woman program and he's, and he like looks at her and he's like, Hey, and I wrote my notes. Why are there sexy programs? (laughs) 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 It made made no sense to me. Uh, And so uh, I think I know the answer to your road warrior. What, what is it though? Talk to me. No, it's a it's a grain. I, there, there's too much stuff in it, and and this one goes further than Blade Runner for me. This one is firmly a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But again, like I was surprised as to uh, how good a movie this still is, and I think most of it you can watch without regret. But there are things that come up in it where you go, yeah. And then it passes, and you're like, "Okay, I'll try and forget about that." But it, it's a, it's grain. Yeah, I, I, if if the choice is between grain and cup, I have to go grain. Yeah, it's not cup of salt to yeah, me. It, yeah. it, it, it's just like, like the things that happen into it, like you said, like using rape for titillation. That's gross. Yeah, but it's not prevalent throughout the whole movie. And most of the movie, you can just watch. Uh, like you said, it's not for everyone, but for you know, if 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 you're of a certain age and probably male, you're gonna watch most of this movie and think, "Fuck yeah!" Yeah, and you know? and 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 yeah, it's the it's the fuck yeah quality of it that I'm like, ugh. Part of my grain of salt too is I was at least conscious in this movie of the fact that all the characters were white, like in all of these movies though, and there's so many um, movies depicting the future star wars included they posited a future where there were no people of color um yeah which is why star trek was as remarkable as it was and as groundbreaking yeah. as it was so for blade runner um you know you have the almost character who is um culturally like non-specific so it's it's unclear right. what his 
what his racial background is, but um, it's only so, referred to his language as gutter speak. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're like, oh god, and and you're sort of taking place. The film kind of takes place in kind of like a little Tokyo, um, yeah. uh, kind of thing. So. Uh, and then Tron, you know, Tron is Tron. Again, it's 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 hard to throw rocks at a defenseless child. So um, I can't <laughs> <laughs> sort of what my attitude towards Tron is. But in this one, it does feel like um, uh, it is sort of conspicuously white. It is conspicuously male. Yet at the same time, like it's still a simple story well told and it's captivating in its own way. And yeah. and and Fury Road is a much better movie and it almost like fixes a lot of problems that I fixes, see. In yeah. That, that, it, in, it really in, does. In yeah. Road Warrior. And, um, and so, um, maybe I'm a biased a little bit because I, I like where they've taken the franchise and, and I'm, ex- I am excited. I think that's, I think that's true. Yeah. I am excited to see where, what the next installments are going to be. Right. I'm, I'm ripe to be disappointed, but I am pretty excited. The 1982 project is a production of the Everything Sequel podcast and was produced by Mike Chance and Matt Aldrich. Original music by Emmett Aldrich and Murphy Aldrich. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm just here for the gasoline.